0: As your shepherd, the Lord's Supper is one of my favorite things we get to do together. It's a wonderful gift. Have you ever been desperate? I mean, your back is against the wall. And if something doesn't happen in your favor, everything falls apart. You may be experiencing that right now, a desperation. Financially, things are not adding up or going in your favor, and you're wondering how you're going to make it. Someone you love is making bad choice after bad choice, and it's hurting relationships. Maybe you have a family member who is sick, and you are desperate for healing. Well, when you get to Mark chapter 5, we see two people who are desperate. They need Jesus to do something or everything will fall apart. And what we see in the text is that Jesus is the all-sufficient one whom we go to in times of desperation. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 5. As a faith family, we're walking through the gospel of Mark together in this fast-paced, hard-hitting book. There's so much to unpack. We see in Mark's gospel, he spends more time focusing on the works of Jesus than he does the teachings of Jesus. And just as Aslan is on the move in Narnia, we see Jesus on the move in the gospel of Mark. We see his works and how he is drawing people to himself. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, the scripture says this, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under doctors, She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The last 24 hours have been quite an adventure. Jesus has just finished in Mark chapter 4 teaching truths about the kingdom. He then rallies his disciples. They get into a boat and they head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As they are on their way traveling across the the sea, a terrible windstorm comes upon them. A hurricane-like storm. These professional fishermen, these disciples inside the boat with Jesus are so terrified that they are fearful that they are going to die. But by his word, Jesus calms the storm. Once they get to the other side of the sea, Jesus gets out of his boat and he's met by a man who is possessed by legion, that is thousands of demons. Jesus casts the demons out of this man. They go into a hillside full of pigs, about 2,000, and they rush down the embankment and they drown in the sea. The community shows up and sees all that has just happened and they beg Jesus to leave. Before he leaves, he commissions the man who was demon-possessed and sends him out to the Decapolis, sends him out to the Gentiles to go and to declare of all that the Lord had done for him. They get back in the boat Jesus and his disciples, and they arrive back on the other side of the sea where they were the day before. And as he gets out, he is met by a large crowd. Hundreds, if not thousands of people, welcome him off the boat, which is a very different reception than what he got on the Gentile side. He's met by desperate people. And as we stare at the text this morning, we're going to discover how we are to approach Jesus Note the posture of how we come to him. Number one, I want you to see that we come desperate. We come desperate. Jairus approaches Jesus when he gets off the boat. And look at what he does, verse 22. He fell at his feet. As a synagogue leader, Jairus was a respected pillar of the community. This is a guy who had wealth and position and prominence. He had authority, but here he is falling at the feet of Jesus. This is the same posture of the man who was possessed by the demons the day before. The difference is the demons bowed in fear. Jairus bows in desperation. This man has been humbled by his circumstances, and he begs Jesus to come and heal his sick daughter because Jesus is his last and only hope. Jairus' body posture is a picture of how all of us are to come before Jesus. Jesus. We posture our bodies low. We get low before Jesus because ultimately all of us are beggars. Ultimately, all of us are desperate for Jesus. Well, Jairus' daughter is dying. And so he begs Jesus to come lay hands on her and save her. And so as Jesus is walking towards Jairus' house, he's being pressed on all sides. People are pushing and shoving, trying to get a chance to touch him. People are desperate. You see, Jesus' power to heal made him a magnet for people who were sick and dying. We see this in the next chapter over in Mark chapter 6, verse 55, where people hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. But as Jesus is making his way to Jairus' house, being pressed by the crowd, a woman who has been in a 12 year battle with a blood disease comes desperate. She has spent all of her savings on doctor's bills. And she is hoping that some medicine, some procedure, some surgery would work. She has suffered greatly. And now she has spent all of her money. And yet, verse 26, she's worse off than when she began her treatments. She's exasperated. She's exhausted. She's broke. You can hear her desperation in verse 28 where she says, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. You can picture uh, picture her wading through the crowd. She's bobbing and weaving. She's ducking and sidestepping, just doing everything she can just to reach out and to touch Jesus. Because for this woman, just like Jairus, Jesus is her last and only hope. This woman has made it her mission that in the midst of the chaos of the crowd to grab hold of Jesus. So she is striving. She is straining just to touch him. She's desperate for healing. Every year I gather with about 10 guys who I went to college with and who are all pastors now. And we meet together for about three days and we pray for each other. We encourage each other. We confess sin. We celebrate what the Lord's doing in our lives and our marriages and our ministries. And this week, I had the chance to do that with several of these brothers. And this week, uh, one of my dear friends shared with us how his wife is dealing with a incurable disease of the skin. And she is bleeding constantly. And as I was preparing for this morning, this past week, and studying the text, all of a sudden, this woman in Scripture became very personal to me. She's a friend. She's a sister in Christ. And so this week, we we spent time together just praying together, weeping as brothers. We were desperate. We are crying out for God to heal her. And I felt just a a taste of how desperate this woman is. She is desperate for Jesus to heal her. For 12 years, she has been struggling with this blood disease. She has been longing for healing, longing for relief, wanting to finally be set free of her struggle. And as we prayed over our friend's wife and just asking for the Lord, begging him to heal her One of the things that the Lord reminded me of is that one of the reasons of why he ordains trials in our lives is not because he hates us. It's not because he's out to get us. It's so that he might bring us to this point of desperation. To bring us to the point point, say, God, I've got to have you. If you do not come through, all of this falls apart. And it's in that moment of desperately crying out to the Lord, that is where God shows himself faithful as the rescuer, and he is the one who gets all the glory. Well, this woman is desperate for Jesus to heal her. Faith family, Westwood, let's come to Jesus desperate. Secondly, we come expectant. This woman comes to Jesus with confidence that he will heal her. Whether verse 28 is her internal self-talk or she's talking to someone in the crowd. She says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. She is expectant that Jesus will heal her. Verse 29, instantly her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Verse 29, that word instantly, it's immediately. It shows up 41 times in Mark's gospel. She has seen the doctors. She has tried the medicines. She has experienced the surgeries, yet everything was insufficient. But now, instantly, after touching Jesus, she was healed. Now, according to Matthew and Luke's account, she had touched the hem of his garments. In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 56, it says that she touched, uh, people would touch the end of his robe. Jewish rabbis would often wear a shawl over their shoulders. And this shawl would not only be draped over them, but on the ends would be these tassels. The, the, the fringe of this garment, these tassels would reach out really long and they were called wings. 450 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Malachi said this, but for you who fear my name watch this the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings Jesus is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings Jesus provides healing to this woman who reaches out her hand. She touches the hem of his garment. She touches his wings, and instantly she's healed. Jesus is the Son of Righteousness who provides healing. And this woman comes to Jesus Christ, who is her healer, and he heals her. She is desperate, she's expectant, and she finally finds relief. And she is healed instantly. Now, keep in mind how inappropriate this is. Women in that culture were never to touch men. Especially women were never to touch a Jewish rabbi. Women were never to have any kind of physical contact like this. But then you add on to the fact that this woman, she has been bleeding for 12 years. This disease, according to Leviticus 15, means that she is ceremonially unclean. She is to stay away from people for at least seven days. And if she touched a person, if she touched someone's garment, if she touched a couch that someone else would, would sit on, that garment, that person, that couch becomes unclean also. And so for this woman, for 12 years, she's not had physical contact. She's had nobody who would hug her or touch her. There's no one who would push her hair behind her ears, out of her eyes no one to cup her face and say, it's going to be okay. She's not had anyone who has lovingly embraced or touched her. And yet here she is. She boldly comes before Jesus, reaches out her hand and touches him, and everything changes. All of her uncleanness, all of her sickness, all of her disease was placed upon him. And in return... She receives his cleanness. She receives his healing. She is a new woman. Jesus takes her sickness and gives her his purity. What does that sound like? You see, through the gospel, he who was clean became dirty so that we who are dirty might become clean in him. At The cross. Jesus got dirty. All of your sin, all of your shame, all of your unrighteousness was nailed to Jesus. All of your sin, not in part, but the whole, is placed upon Jesus at the cross. And in return, God gives you his righteousness. He gives you Jesus's purity. He gives you Jesus's holiness. He gives you Jesus's perfection. It is now accounted to you of the righteousness of Christ. He gets all of our junk. We get all of his purity. Oh, this is a picture of the gospel. We see Jesus for Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For God made him who knew no sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, at the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and in your turn, through your faith in him, you receive his righteousness. You are washed, you're clean, you're made whole, you're brand new. The prophet Isaiah foretold of the coming Messiah's death in Isaiah 53. He says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. We are like the man in Psalm 24 who has unclean hands and an impure heart. But when we touch Jesus by faith, When we cling to his garment through the gospel, he takes away our impurities. He washes away our filth. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then we are forever clean. We are forever pure. We are forever holy in his sight. You see, Jesus bore the disease of your disobedience towards God. And by his wounds healed you of your sin sickness at the cross. Behold the victory of the cross. Behold the power of the cross where his blood was shed so that sinners can be washed and be forever clean through Jesus. Jesus took all of our iniquities. He took all of our sins. He took all of our uncleanness. And at the cross, he makes a way where through him, he then gives us his healing, his perfection, his purity. What an exchange. What a savior. Yet for this woman, she needed healing that was more than just skin deep. She didn't just need blood to stop flowing. She needed forgiveness for her sins. And so immediately, verse 30, that's where that word again shows up again. Jesus realized that power had gone out for him. So he starts to survey the crowd, and he asks, who touched my clothes? The disciples are kind of like, really, Jesus? (laughs) There are hundreds of people touching you. Like, what what do you mean by this? Well, Jesus is up to something bigger than they realize. Jesus is drawing her out with a question. In Genesis chapter 3, our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden. And when they realized what they had done, what did they do? They went into hiding. They were hiding behind bushes. We see God enter into the story, and he asks a question. Adam, where are you? you now god knew where he was knew knew where they were physically they were hiding behind the bushes he's asking where are you relationally what is god doing god is drawing them out of hiding by asking a question he is calling them out of hiding. He is calling them out of shame so that he might expose what they've done so that in turn, he might heal them with the gospel of the promised seed of the woman. Here is Jesus in Mark chapter 5 asking a question. He is drawing out this woman, calling her from hiding, calling her from shame calling her to step out of the darkness and into the light. He is seeking to expose what she has done so that he might heal her with his gospel. Beloved, this morning, if you find yourself hiding in the dark, if you've got sins deep in your heart that you don't think anybody else knows, the Lord knows, if you keep holding on to these things saying, no, 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 I'm going to live for me, live for myself, this is what I want, the Lord's not going to heal you. But if, like this woman, you come before Jesus and you expose what you've done in your past, if you take what was in the dark and you bring it into the light, that is where he will heal you with his gospel. It is there that is Jesus lovingly calling this woman out from hiding to step into the dark so that she might find ultimate healing in him. And so, as he is calling her out so that he might heal her, look at how she responds. Verse 33 She comes forth trembling in fear and told him the whole truth. When she came out of hiding, what was in the dark has been brought to the light. But notice what Jesus says here, verse 34. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. You see, Jesus wasn't after temporary physical healing to the neglect of her soul. Jesus is interested in both earthly suffering and eternal suffering. He seeks to take care of both. So notice what Jesus says that saves her. Verse 34. Faith. See, when this woman was stepped out of hiding, when she came broken to her Savior, confessing her sins, pleading for mercy, that is where she was saved. And beloved, that is what's true for you. When you step out of the dark and come into the light, you come confessing your sins, telling the Lord, Lord, this is what I've done. I'm so ashamed. I've I've said these things. I've done these things. This has been the attitude of my heart. God, I want to take it from the dark and bring it into the light. Lord, I want to expose this before you because this is where I can find healing. If you try and keep your things in the past, if you try to hold on to sins and temptations that you're not seeking to fight against, if you're holding on to these things, the Lord's not going to heal you. But it's when you come into the light, that's where God heals you. 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you take what was in the dark and you bring it into the light, that is where God heals you. But did you notice verse 34, what Jesus calls her? Daughter. Oh, it's the only time Jesus ever calls someone that he calls her daughter. He doesn't call her sinner. He doesn't call her black sheep. He doesn't call her, how could you? He didn't call her, what in the world were you thinking? He calls her by her identity. You are family. You belong to me. You are now forever a part of me and my family. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. That doesn't mean anything to you. But to my six-year-old daughter, that means everything. My daughter, Elian and I have this song that we sing to each other. It's just for one another. And I'll sing... You're my favorite, Elian, And she comes right back. You're my favorite, Baba. So when she comes home from school, I'll whistle. She lights up and sings. When the Lord looks at you, He does not look at you in shame, with anger, with frustration or dismay. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he looks upon you as if he says, (whistles) The Lord looks upon you with great care. He loves you. He cares for you. He cares about your suffering. He cares about your pain. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. You're my daughter, you're my son, and you belong to me now. And I care so deeply for you. And I want you to know I'm going to be faithful to the very end. Jesus calls this woman daughter. And he is telling her who she is. That she now has an identity because she is part of a family bigger than she can ever imagine. And so too is that true for you. If you are in Christ, if you have believed the gospel, then the Lord looks upon you as his beloved son, as his beloved daughter, and in you he is well pleased. He treats you like family. Now at this point, you can imagine that Jairus is getting impatient. Jesus has gotten the whole triage thing wrong, he's probably thinking. (laughs) Okay, the woman with the bleeding can wait. My daughter is on death's doorstep, Jesus. Let's pick up the pace. Let's get moving. We need to get home. Like, we've got to keep this thing going. But remember, God is never in a hurry. He never rushes, but he is always on time. And this desperate woman who's been suffering for 12 years, she interrupts Jesus. That's a word for us, by the way. This is a word for me. As someone who likes his schedule, someone who likes structure and consistency, and I have a to-do list and things that I can be about, I can get so wrapped up in doing what I want to do that I neglect the margin to go and meet the need and the interruption that God may bring to me. Maybe that's true for you. You're a high-capacity leader. You like to get things done. You're task-oriented. You see sometimes people and their problems as interruptions rather than opportunities to share the gospel. You see, Jesus is never too busy to make time for those who are desperate for him. He's never too busy. God is never too busy for you. I've had conversations with unbelievers in which they've said, you know, God's got all of this going on. I don't think he has time for me. Oh, beloved, he does. The Lord has time for you. And though you and I, we can be so busy about doing good things, about God honoring things, we can be in danger of neglecting the person who's in desperate need of God's grace, and we don't become the good Samaritan like Jesus is here. Don't allow your busy schedule to prevent you from having interruptions, which are actually divine opportunities that God has ordained for you to be a blessing for someone else. It's amazing here. So we come to Jesus And we come desperate, we come expectant, but thirdly, we come and believe. Verse 35, people came to Jairus and they break the bad news to him. Verse 35, your daughter is dead. But Jesus has a word for Jairus. Verse 36, don't be afraid, only believe. Once again, Jesus is holding up fear as the enemy of faith. Remember his rebuke of the disciples the day before out on the sea? Chapter 4, verse 40. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, in the kingdom, faith trumps fear every time. Now, you can imagine the fear and the pain that he is feeling here. Someone has just told him, your daughter is dead. But Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is setting up a resurrection. He allows the time to go because he's going to do something so big and so significant that people are going to be shocked by what he just does. You see, Jesus allows death to happen to set up a future resurrection. (laughs) Beloved, if you are in Christ, Mm -hmm. though death will one day touch all of us unless Jesus returns, God is setting up a future resurrection. Death cannot hold you in the grave. Because Jesus defeated death, so too will you who trust in him by faith. What we see in Mark chapter 5 is Jesus is setting the stage to show that he is more powerful than death so he gets his triad peter james and john three guys who got to experience things that the other nine never got to and they go into this room with Jairus and his wife they're all gathered around this little girl's dead body and jesus takes her by the hand and says talitha koum that is little girl get up it's amazing in that moment her eyes begin to flutter air fills her lungs She looks up, smiles, begins walking around. Can you imagine her parents' faces? Their daughter, who was just dead, is now walking around. Don't get so familiar with Scripture that you're not amazed at what you're reading here. This dead girl was there lying, and then like Elijah, and like Elisha, Jesus raises this young child and raises them from the dead. The power of Jesus. He's more strong and more powerful than death itself. We see he's more powerful than disease with this woman. But even in the midst of death, Jesus is showing how powerful he is. He is the one who says, I say to you, little girl, arise. By his word, this little girl gets up. And what we see here is that by his word, one day... On the last day, we're going to hear the word, I say to you, arise, come on up. Y'all, there's coming a day when the eastern skies are going to split and a Galilean accent is going to cry out, arise. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4. And we are going to be with the Lord. Mark 5 is pointing us forward to the day when God will loosen the grip of death for all who are in Christ. Indeed, Jesus is greater than death. So therefore, the impact point is this. What are you calling us to do? Come desperate to Jesus and be utterly astounded by his power. If you are desperate today, Jesus is here to meet with you and to display his power in and through your life. If you are facing a trial saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You're a perfect candidate for the grace of Jesus, where he is going to be working right here and right now in the midst of your pain. And he is going to do something so great as you fix your eyes on him. I love how D.A. Carson said it. He said, I'm not facing anything so bad that a good resurrection can't fix it. Whatever you're facing, there's a resurrection coming. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Come desperate to him and be utterly astounded by his power. Power over disease, power over death, and he proves it on the third day by defeating death itself through the power of the Spirit.